0: That's right. This week, we do have a special, special treat.
1: Yeah, Yeah, Uh, we We
0: we are covering one of my absolute favorite movies. Mine, too. In Suspiria, Dario Argento's 1977 classic. Yeah. All right, so as I I do all the time, um, first off, hello, hello, everybody. This is Gritty Reboot. We're changing things up a little bit because I got some phone issues, which is where I normally play the music. <laughs> so, so we don't have a theme song, but you know what? The, the Goblin soundtrack from Suspiria is on Spotify, so I managed to figure that out. So with that being said, I'm Pedro. And I'm Meredith. And this is our show. First off, I do want to change a couple of things on how we normally do stuff. I want to say, if you like the show or if you want to get back to us or let us know anything that you dislike, email us at rebootcast yeah. at gmail.com which is the, probably the most archaic way possible to ever get a hold of it. But is direct. Yeah, but I mean, you have demanded that we have an email address. Yeah. So we do. And now we needed it to start other things as all the other social media that you can find at Instagram and at TikTok is at Gritty Reboot. It needed that email address to work. Mm-hmm. So please hit us up on TikTok or Instagram. It's a much, much easier way to get a hold of us if you have any questions or anything like that. So, And I'm Illusionist13 on Twitter, and Meredith is? Just me. Just her. She has no Twitter, so screw it.
1: No. All right. Well, I do have a Twitter, but it's old and it's under a different name.
0: It is under, <laughs> I think it, was it Lone Ladybug or something like that? Still?
1: No, Vera grit.
0: Oh, Vera grit. Okay. Well, that still works. Yeah. That still works for the show. Yeah, it still works. So, uh, yeah. As I ask all the time, Meredith, what was your first time seeing Suspiria?
1: You showed it to me.
0: There, long are ma- time there, ago. Yeah, there are many people I know who this is the first time The the, the first way they watched *The Spirit* was that I showed it to them.
1: Yeah. You showed it to me when we were in high school.
0: I had heard about the film and I had wanted to see it for a long time. Cause I'd read about it on the internet and I saw like pictures mm-hmm. and I saw all these brilliant colors and things like that. And I was like, I wonder what that movie's like. I really do. I, I want to see it. And I, I grew up in a small town. So even when I went to like a larger city and went through like the blockbuster in the horror section. I could never find yeah, Suspiria. Yeah, you
1: wouldn't.
0: Yeah, occasionally I could find a few other Dario Argento movies, but never that one. Like I saw Inferno before I saw Suspiria because I was able to find that at the video store. Mm. Just because it was a newer movie, and I, I guess somebody brought it back. You know, I'm sure somebody rented Suspiria and was like, "Holy shit!" Just never brought that VHS back. Yeah, you know, because th- this was before a time when you could just buy a movie like that. You have to remember, if you're old enough, you could just not see a movie ever again once it was out of your possession. It's not like now you can just. Google for any movie, and even if you can't find it, you could find a legal copy, you can find it for rent legally anywhere, or you can possibly find it streaming somewhere for free, mm-hmm. or just find it patchwork together on YouTube. There's a lot of ways to see movies today, and even then, there are still a number of films that are just lost forever. But, you know, back then, you know, once the movie was out of your possession, you had no idea when you were going to come back around to it again. Mm-hmm. So if you watched Suspiria and it blew your mind, I could certainly imagine like, yeah, I ain't taking this back to Hollywood video.
1: I will say, when I first watched it back then, I didn't really like it. It didn't. It took different viewings as I got older to appreciate it, and now it's one of my favorite horror movies.
0: Yeah, because it, it is
1: sort of a—it's um, a niche thing.
0: Well, it is very seventies in Italian, mm-hmm. and by that I mean the the story isn't very important. No, and that's a, a little bit more unique to this movie, Suspiria. But another aspect that I know can be very challenging for new viewers, especially younger viewers, is the dubbing. Yeah, uh, this movie was basically shot with a almost international cast. Americans, Italians, Germans, Germans anybody. Yeah. You were Europeans and Americans, basically. I, I don't see anybody Chinese running around. Them. But what I'm saying is, like, all these tongues came together, and they said pretty much whatever they wanted to in their own language. How Argento directed them, I have no idea. Yeah, but still directed well. Yeah, but either way, they, they all spoke their own language. They were just all dubbed in English later. And I know that sounds like madness to some people, but that's just how Italian cinema worked at that moment in time. Yeah. And Argento made quite a few movies that way. And it, it's just just how it goes. You know, it, it's just one of those things, you know. Like, we'll, we'll look back at, like, the 2010s and stuff like that, and people will be like, God, why do all these films look so ugly? We'll be like, early digital cinematography. Mm-hmm. You know, it, like, we talked about that a little bit with My Bloody Valentine. Like, that movie looked hideous on a modern screen. You know, that digital cinematography didn't hold up in the least, which is really weird because it's not always that way. But, you know, it's just one of those things that you'll find as as an element lost to time. But that's just it. The, the, the dubbing is there, and it takes away from it. But what doesn't change about Suspiria is, Suspiria is that this movie is about as close as you'll ever get to a fevered nightmare captured on screen. Because that's what it feels like. And if you ever had like that... Fever running 101, 102 degrees, burning hot, and you've had an awful nightmare. That is exactly what this movie is a slice of. That's
1: what, like Jacob's ladder is like that.
0: To some extent, yeah. I think that's another good way to put that. But but this movie I, I think works in, in its fairy tale dreamlike aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Because the, the story is I mean not nonsensical, but unimportant. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of elements introduced in the story that don't ever play into anything. And normally I criticize that, but that's not the kind of movie that this is. Mm -mm. If this movie depended on a plot reveal at the end, I'd be like, well, you got to build up to that. But that's not what it's about at all. Mm -mm. It's just a fairy tale done through the lens of a fever dream. Yeah. And directed by Dario Argento and some of the most brilliant technicolor cinematography ever put to screen.
1: And some awesome architecture.
0: Yes, Um, yes. Some
1: of that Baroque and you
0: know the apartment building that they entered. art deco yeah early in the yeah. intro like you just look at that and go good lord that's just sitting around germany
1: somewhere no kidding
0: like what what a brilliant brilliant look Beautiful i absolutely colors. Loved, absolutely love the the look of this movie i can't help but recommend the the shout factory blu-ray and 4k blu-ray uh, restoration treatment we we have the older blu-ray just in 1080p I, I never upgraded and it still looks fantastic the colors really still pop off the mm-hmm. screen Just whatever you can do, find the highest quality copy of this movie that you can get. And we haven't really talked – you can't really spoil Suspiria. It's not really like a story to really ruin. So if you haven't seen Suspiria, this is the only time I would tell you to stop the podcast and just go watch it. Because it's going to be very difficult for me to tell you about the movie visually, you know, through an audio medium. Yeah. So you'll need to see a lot of these things. But if you've seen Suspiria, you know – by all means, keep on listening, because we're going to talk about it scene by scene, mm-hmm. and talk about what we love and what we don't love. It's mostly what we love. And I love Dario Argento, and I love this movie, so this is going to be a big sloppy wet kiss to the film Suspiria. So I hope you guys are ready for that.
1: Roses are
0: red, violets are blue, but the iris is the flower, that will mean Run from
1: Suspiria. Suspiria. You can hide from Suspiria. Suspiria. But you cannot escape. We're only more terrifying than the last 12 minutes of Suspiria are the first 92. All right. Well, we start this movie off with the goblins and their their haunting, haunting song.
0: So, yeah, we opened up with with a little bit of that right now. And I'm, I'm probably going to put a little bit of that underneath as well. We're talking right now. But the goblins were a progressive rock band and they became a favorite of Argento's from this, basically. They, uh, you know, and they had another name. Goblins was basically their, their name for film scores, and they really knocked it out of the park with this strange soundtrack. Because mm-hmm. it is very odd if you if you listen to this, you are like, "This is this is a soundtrack to a horror movie." What is yeah. this? But it, it only works in the context of this of film. Movie. Yeah, it only really works in the context of this film.
1: Yeah, it's like they wrote it perfectly for this movie.
0: Yeah, yeah, the, 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 yeah. We we hear the score and we see the credits.
1: Yeah. With, we get a little informa- information about Susie Banyan, and she's the main character here. She's going into a ballet school.
0: And this is unique because we get a little information via the narrator. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. And how many times does the narrator show up after this? None. None. The narrator never appears no. again. He gives us some... I don't know if Argento's like, wait, I never introduced Susie. Shit. <laughs> and it was like, "You there? You speak English?" Well, get in here, <laughs> and just like put a microphone in front of his face, and they'd say, see this. And he just offers just a little quick narration to set us up on the movie that Susie Banyan's an American student, and she's going to the t- what's the academy again? Uh, the T A or the
1: the Tame Tame?
0: Look that up in your notes. Yeah.
1: Um. There's already a lot of color added to the scenes. A deep hue of red as Susie exits the airport. She's trying to get a taxi.
0: Yeah, and even like this shot, like they show her walking out and they have the colors washed up. But one of the things I like is there's this really ominous shot of the automatic doors opening and like these spikes that close the doors together. It's like, whoosh, 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 as it comes in. Like, it's already this ominous bit. And mm-hmm. like Argento, as he has a unique gift for, found an incredibly interesting way to shoot that. And we roll right into the exterior, which is her trying to hail the cab during one of the worst rainstorms you'll ever see in Germany.
1: Yeah, because you get her going through the airport. Everything's really calm and every day. And then she goes through those doors and it's like lightning. And then the music lightning yeah. and. Thunder and yeah. rain and she's trying to get a taxi and she can't get a taxi until the last. Because before,
0: all we ha- the only element of the soundtrack we have is is a little bit of the, the size and a bit of the bells. Yeah. Very light, though. And the second whoosh, we start getting more elements of what we know is the Suspiria soundtrack entering. Mm-hmm. The second, and that lets us know that Susie has entered the Suspiria.
1: <laughs> There's blues and reds on her face in the taxi. And it's the one thing that I love the most about these movies is the colors that Dario Argento uses.
0: So right away, this this is the the last Technicolor film that was shot. And this is basically a way of of producing the film strips using each primary color. Yeah. And this is an ancient, ancient way to do it. I will say that. Now you you simply... It's
1: so creative. Yeah,
0: and that's the thing. It does lead to richer colors, but you're using basically triple the film stock to make this kind of happen. And you're using an archaic process to, to make the movie that's far more expensive than what they'd already established. Technicolor was on the way out, but it did lead to richer images. And this really was the last movie they shot that way. And I can't stress that enough. Once they were done with, like, the, the final cut of the movie, they literally got it off the printer and the where they were at. They unplugged the machine and shipped it off to Canada. I mean, shipped it off to China immediately after they were done. It didn't even get a chance to cool down. That's how quick, that's how much this was the final Technicolor film.
1: Yeah. And really anywhere. It continues to rain as the taxi goes towards its destination. And there it is, the red building where she will attend ballet classes. She tries to get into the building, but it's someone... a
0: brilliant red, by the way. Mm-hmm. Just ominous, it's very yeah, like, blood red. Yeah, like are you just like man? I, you couldn't believe they'd make a, a building that color. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's that striking a red. It really is.
1: She tries to get into the building, but someone tells her to go away. So she gets back in her taxi, and then she sees the same woman that's that she saw in the door frame talking. Uh, and running out into the rain. She sees her in the forest.
0: Yeah, and she doesn't hear anything, this woman. So she ca- catches a few little,
1: blue ah, yeah. iris, secret.
0: And she just really, like, it, it's dubbed yeah. very poorly. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the most poorly dubbed things in the entire film. But it, just for a reason, you're not strictly really supposed to be able to hear. But yeah, like you said, she's unable to get back into the campus. Mm-hmm. They throw her ass out. And so she has to run through. And there's a great shot of her running through the black forest. Yeah, I love like she's, ominous. Yeah, with with the Suspiria, with the the goblin soundtrack playing, she's running through there. It reminds me of a lot of the shots in like Antichrist mm-hmm. when they walk through the forest and the fog and everything like that. Especially after Defoe's head is nuts crushed. Oh my god! We're never gonna cover Antichrist, guys.
1: No, it's it's too intense for this podcast. No, I
0: mean I'm, I don't mind.
1: I'd now, really... if we get like a bunch of people that come and say, "Hey." We really want you to cover Antichrist.
0: Yeah, we will. Then we
1: will. Yeah,
0: I mean, I, I I love the movie. I love it.
1: Well, in a way, I do too. But oh my god.
0: Yeah, but I, I love Requiem for a Dream as well. Let's me yeah, sit down for exactly. a beer and watch it on a Saturday afternoon. Exactly. Schindler's List is one of the finest movies I've ever seen. I've only seen it maybe three times. I've for, only seen it once. Yeah, I've only seen it three times. To- once was for class. You know, once it was for a film history class. I, I remember just like, I shouldn't have picked Schindler's List. That was my thought as I was watching it. <laughs> I was like, I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have picked a different movie. This is a really heavy film to try to pay her on.
1: The same girl that was in the forest running ends up in an elevator and is talking to another woman who is basically letting her stay with her for the night.
0: And she can't even, she asked her like, what's the matter with the Academy? And she can't even form into words. Mm-mm. And so she's a little annoyed, but she's like, whatever, do your thing, you know?
1: She's apparently been thrown out of school. The girl is spooked by everything. She's very tense in this whole scene.
0: Yeah, she really is Mm terrified. Like, she does a very nice job communicating that physically with her body, not so much with her dubbed words.
1: And then I wrote in my notes, the building Argento chose are beautiful. Yeah. This is where you get this art deco.
0: Yeah, this is really, and this is probably the film's most famous kill. Mm -hmm. So... This really is a thing of beauty, this entire location. The
1: cinematography is beautiful.
0: Where it's shot and how it's lit.
1: She's looking out the window and she thinks she sees eyes. And then a big hairy arm grabs her and throws her through the window as her friend tries to get her help for her.
0: So, fun fact, this is uh, Dario Argento. If you watch any film that Argento does, probably up until his late age, Argento was the killer. Mm -hmm. He's always the killer in his movies. Now, he is not the character of the killer, but anytime you see a kill being done, that's Argento's hand doing it. And that's no difference here. Even though I don't know if he had to have extra hair added to his body. God, I hope he did. So he shoots us in a way that really is fantastic. There's a great shot where he's pushing her head against the glass and like the blue wash and the red lighting behind her, like her face pressed against it, kind of piggish. Mm -hmm. You know, it's such and she's absolutely terrified before like the hand pushes her face through the glass.
1: She's stabbed twice and then once more.
0: And her friend is frantically running. Help! Help! There's a killer! There's a killer! She's running everywhere trying Mm -hmm. to get someone to help her. But much like a nightmare, nobody cares. No one comes out to help.
1: She's then tied up and stabbed once more. She falls through the glass ceiling and is hung by a rope. So Blood dripping all on the floor.
0: We get a particularly brutal kill. She is stabbed multiple times. Mm -hmm. And there is a stab literally to her open heart.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, Yeah, there's a... They show
1: her heart Yeah, they show her heart beating. He
0: stabs it and a little bit of blood comes out of it. And that's it. And there's this brilliant shot where she's dying and her head breaks through the stained glass. And there's blood like lipstick around her lips slowly dripping from her as her head penetrates the glass and this white, brilliant light comes up through the stained glass where she's almost heavenly, almost like an orgasmic look as she dies. Yeah. And I I love it. And then like the cable is placed around her and she goes down. Argento does this great shot, tracking shot of the ceiling, a part of the rooftop where you see the cable being taken off as she goes all the way down. Mm -hmm. And it's this hauntingly beautiful shot of her just hanging there, dead. And her friend almost cut apart by the stained glass that came down, killing them both at
1: the same time. Yeah, there's a big, huge piece of glass going through the other girl's face. Yeah, it's a little like cut her the but in half. Yeah, yeah. By, yeah
0: bisecting her. exactly. It's it's, it's a very brutal and very beautiful. Yeah. Something Argento had a real skill for. This is a masterful shot. And I remember, and I talked about this a bit earlier, when I finally had the opportunity to watch the DVD, shout out to Anchor Bay, by the way, for bringing all of these cult movies I'd heard of for years on the internet and giving them great DVD transfers. So I was able to watch this movie, and I was initially weirded out by the soundtrack, and Mm -hmm. just like you were. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what what I was watching. The dubbing was strange. And then this scene hit, and I I think it immediately, like, I got it. Mm -hmm. I know what this movie is, and I think I understood this is a nightmare straight through. A beautiful one, but a nightmare nonetheless. And and this iconic scene is what really helped me realize it. I still love it to this day.
1: The next scene is a blind man who I think his name is Samuel. It is. Yeah. And his dog show up at the school. She, Susie also shows back up at the school and she's able to get in this time.
0: Yeah. They, they don't throw her out this time. Thankfully.
1: She meets the headmistress, which is, um, Talon.
0: It's Tanner. It's, Madame Blanc.
1: Madame Blanc.
0: Madame Tanner. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, Miss Tanner is who you're talking about. Madame Blanc is the one who runs the Academy. The debutante. The debutante. Yeah. Okay.
1: She tells Susie about the murder of a former student, how sad it is. The blue interior is really popping off the screen. Of
0: yeah, this. it really is almost like popping off. Yeah, It's really a, a, just that brilliant a blue color. Uh, there's some detectives there, right? Mm-hmm. And this is the least important part of the plot. Like Susie tells them the information she knows about the night before. But we will never see this detective plot line again. Mm-hmm. That's why this is not a Giallo movie. A Giallo movie is what Dario Argento was famous for. Do you know what Giallo means? I sure don't. It means yellow. And the reason they say yellow is because when you in Italy bought a murder mystery book that had some sex and violence in it, the covers were always yellow. So they just called giallo books. And basically, Argento adapted that style into cinema, and that form was known as giallo movies. And they're basically a precursor to the slasher genre. They have a lot of similarities, but there usually is not a supernatural element. They are murder mysteries for the most part, just with a lot of blood and gore and some sex. Mm. And this movie really isn't that, because there really isn't a murder mystery There's witches. It. There's witches, and there's a supernatural element, but th- there is a slash in to it, but that's not really what it is. It's not really a slasher movie.
1: Mistress Tanner, right? hmm She shows Susie the locker room, and Susie meets Olga, and Olga's kind of like the mean girl of the group.
0: Yeah, yeah. Olga's like kind of a fun character here, and I have I've had a, an actor once quote this line in a movie that... I've heard that girls with the names of that start with S are the same as snakes. It's such a cheesy line. Yeah. <laughs> it always makes me, every time I hear this delivery, it always makes me smile for some reason.
1: She Susie has to borrow some shoes from somebody, so sh- she. this is where she meets Sarah.
0: They have a fun conversation about if she wants to buy them or not. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, why did you leave that in there? But sometimes it's how dreams are. There's weird little elements left over. I do want to mention that one of the elements of the writing process that isn't really visible on screen is that this movie was originally written to be performed by 12 to 14 year old. Mm-hmm. This was originally like a girls dance academy. It really was. But someone informed Argento, like, I don't know, maybe we don't want to make a brutal movie killing 11 or 12 year olds. huh? Eh? Mm-hmm. That's not the best idea. So he aged everyone up, but the dialogue stayed the same. So they still all act like little girls for the most part. Like the same thing with the, uh, the names of snakes and stuff like that. Cause they just like, they stick their tongues out of each other. Yes. Like, like kids would do. Yeah. So, and that that's
1: it, yeah, well, Olga's roommate is currently Susie for the time being,
0: yeah, yeah she should have a place to say, so she's rooming with her, which Olga's real happy about because she gets paid up front.
1: Some guy brings Susie her luggage, and she's like, "You didn't have to do that, so she's weirded out by the guy bringing her luggage. Susie remembers meeting the woman that was killed, and her meeting was with her was so brief. Where were all the dancers? Madame Blanc tells her. Her room is ready, but she's happy bunking with Olga.
0: Yeah, yeah. So she heads, she's back at the academy. And this is a kind of interesting scene because Madame Blanc immediately says, like, you had a room for us. And Susie's like, nah, you know what? I like chilling with my homegirl, Olga. And like, Madame Blanc's like, the fuck you do? Yeah. Do whatever you want, bitch. Basically, is like her attitude, right? Yeah.
1: And, and Mistress Tanner comes back behind her and's like, I see when you. You, you want something, you get it. That kind of
0: yeah. She's like. Very strong-willed you are. Yeah. <laughs> when your mind is made up, it can't be broken. Like,
1: okay. It's kind of weird.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it she's is. She's
1: like, I admire that.
0: And she's just like, I, I just would like to stay at this one place somebody roomed in at. It's all right. It's off campus, so it's cool. Who wants to stay in the the dorms anyway? Yeah. Oh, the
1: dorms suck. Susie goes into a hallway, and she sees a woman and a child. It's a really creepy scene, because yeah, the woman it, looks weird, so, and the child looks weird. Yeah,
0: and that, that's uh, the child is Madame Blanc's nephew. Yeah. Or at least that's what we're told. Mm-hmm. And that is his caretaker, his nanny. It's not 100% clear. It's, it's not that important. But yeah, she comes down the way, like a little bit of light hits her face from whatever the nanny is holding her hand. Yeah. It's like a triangle, not necessarily a knife, just yeah. like a shiny triangle. And so in this next scene, Susie has a dance class and is immediately like tired and winded. Mm-hmm. So we're led to believe this sort of had an effect. But I will say it is never stated or 100% clear. You're just kind of left to assume it. Yeah. Yeah, you're left kind of left to assume that this this curses her. In some way.
1: We get the scene of them exercising for ballet. And Susie tells her she's weak, but she's the, the headmistress forces her to dance anyways. And then she faints and blood comes out of her nose and mouth. Yeah, yeah. And then they have... Bright red blood. The next scene is them pretty much waterboarding her.
0: <laughs> Drink the water. <laughs> and I don't
1: know why they decided... They couldn't have just bought, brought her a glass to... to drink water out of it. They bring her a pitcher. Yeah, yeah. Shove it down her throat. Yeah, I know.
0: In Germany, they ran hardcore with how you drink water. Yeah. They're like, we don't have time for cups. Just drink it right out of the pitcher, bitch.
1: <laughs> she's not allowed to have fruit and has to eat bland food for a week. And yeah. she's also prescribed wine.
0: Wine. Yeah. Very European. Very bloody wine. Yeah, very, very thick, bloody wine. <laughs> yeah.
1: Sarah comes to visit and they chat for a bit. And she's. this is where she's combing her hair and she notices something white in her hair so she grabs it and it's a maggot and then she picks up the comb and it's more maggots and then she looks up and it's maggots coming from the ceiling so they've had a maggot infestation so all the all the people get all the girls get out of their rooms and are freaked out from it and the headmistress goes up and to the attic where she thinks the maggots are coming from and she finds a crate full of meat I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I thought it's it was cheeses. I thought it was cheeses or something like that. Either way, no, sign- because
1: uh, Madame Blanc she she talks about them getting a. a- Order of meat.
0: Oh, okay. Spoiled I, I, meat or something. Okay, like yeah, that. I always thought it was, I thought she just said spoiled food.
1: It, it's hard to tell what it is.
0: <laughs> yeah, it really is. Like, you, I would assume it's meat. Maybe there could be some cheese in it. It's, it's bathed
1: in blue light.
0: E- either way, it, it has spoiled and it's covered mm-hmm. in maggots. And there's a great um, goblin sting right there as, like, everyone realizes that the maggots are up there. It's a great yeah. sting. And, yeah, I, I think it's, it's really well done. I, like, how she walks into the, in there with the maggots covering the floor. It's creepy. I like it.
1: For the night, they decide to put some bunk beds together and some sheets up, and that's where the girls have to sleep.
0: Which makes sense in, in a school setting. That's perfectly fine.
1: When they turn out all the lights, there's this red tint to everything.
0: So once again, th- this movie is bathed in this beautiful red. Yeah. There is this, basically, silhouette mm-hmm. as they have these curtains around them.
1: hmm Creepy noises.
0: Yeah, and then we hear some very loud snoring.
1: Some wheezing and some... Wheezing, yeah. Yeah, some snoring.
0: And that's when... Jessica? No. Sarah. Sarah. I don't know what her name is. Jessica, Sarah and Susie have a conversation. And this is basically like... (laughs) Now, now, I will say that (laughs) none of the plot elements really matter all that much, but they talk about the headmistress, right?
1: Yeah.
0: And as we hear her wheezing, she begins to tell this story about her or what she's heard about the headmistress, Elena Marcos.
1: Oh, the... Yeah, the main...
0: Helena Marcos. Yeah,
1: Helena Marcos. We'll just call her that because I'm already calling um Tanner headmistress.
0: Yeah. Helena Marcos is who's in charge of everything. Yeah.
1: They've been told that she's off traveling. Yeah. But they, Sarah's like, hey, I've, I know that snoring. I've heard it before in the past. I know that that's the.
0: And this is an intimately shot because those girls are like almost, like, almost like, making right out. next to each other. Yeah, like faces really with less than an inch apart.
1: Yeah, she, she. It's the directress. That's what her name is. Mm, okay. She thinks the directress is is there there behind the sheet, and then the blind man is back in Samuel. He ties up his dog outside of the ballet house, and the weird woman. The boy seemed to attack the dog off screen.
0: Yeah, yeah. There, there is some indication that he has uh, been uh, like assaulted or or mm-hmm.
1: Something guess, cursed to in him. some way. Once again, it's
0: not very clear, but that's not the kind of movie this is.
1: Then the headmistress storms into the dance hall where Samuel is playing. I mean, like, storms in there, yelling at him that his dog bit a child. And uh, she basically forces him out. And they-
0: Yeah, they have a confrontation and he just gets his ass tossed.
1: Yeah, it's pretty embarrassing for that guy. At least that's the way they shot it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's not a great moment for him. He gets fired because his dog, you know, seeing eye dogs are usually pretty well trained. I don't know how things were in the 70s, but it seems unlikely. Obviously, that there's some sort of spell action going on since they want him out.
1: Yeah. And then we're back with Susie and she's drinking her wine and she all of a sudden gets really sleepy and Sarah comes to visit. And Sarah is is plotting. She's she's counting footsteps of all the administration. She smells something is off at the school. Meanwhile, Susie's just passed out.
0: Yeah, as Susie is like, the, the second this gets to her, I mean, it's like she's been roofing. She's mm-hmm. just out cold. She yeah. can't make any sense of it. Because the last thing she hears is her talk about the witches, right? Mm-hmm. And like, that's the, and Susie's out. And it, it's, it, it puts uh, this character now into the forefront. And she has like her own thing that, she, like, her own world of like solving this mystery, right? Yeah. And we don't get to find out anything about it. She talks about her notes, right? Yeah. all this other stuff. Like, none She's of that. She's like,
1: I'm going to go, I want to show you my notes.
0: And none, none of this comes into play in the plot at all. No. It's just, it's just not important. Yeah. <laughs> but I do want to mention, she is there actively trying to investigate this whole thing. And she wants Susie's help, but Susie can't stay awake.
1: We're back with Samuel and his dog. And then music starts up. So we know something bad's going to happen.
0: Yeah, yeah. He was um out chilling that night, right? He went to a bar. Yeah. Having a good time. He comes back, and like I said, we do hear the music, so we know it's coming. And and there's this beautiful, wide shot. We have this open square that's just lit by a few lights, and somehow it's this big open space, but it's claustrophobic because of the darkness. Mm -hmm. And what he can't see. And he can't see anything.
1: Yeah, he's blind.
0: And it, it works to our favor, because when the music begins... He kind of starts to turn around and, and wonder what's going on. Like there's something close. And we can see that there isn't.
1: Because the dog starts going nuts as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. And he's just really confused, trying to figure out where it was. He can tell that there's nobody there, but you know, he can feel that there is something.
1: Some good dog acting.
0: Yeah, I think so too.
1: The music dies down, and then the dog takes a bite out of his neck. Yeah, the killing dog him instantly.
0: Yeah, the dog attacks him, rips out his throat. Mm-hmm. You can see the dog chewing on it a laughter. So yeah, you would assume the dog is, dog is possessed by whatever it is. Once again, we never find out what this killing force is.
1: Yeah, I wonder what the dog was eating because he's eating what supposedly is the Samuel's neck. I'm assuming
0: just some beef, probably tied into that. It guy. was
1: it was really well done.
0: Oh yeah, because he's chewing on that. Yeah, like' the dog's really
1: dogs going into, into it. it. Yeah, Good yeah. dog acting, like I
0: said. yeah. I think it's surprisingly, the the well, something you might necessarily not expect from this movie, mm-hmm. but really just incredibly solid acting from the dog.
1: The next day, all the girls are talking about. Samuel's death by dog. Death
0: by dog. Death by dog.
1: Susie talks about Madame Blanc. Sarah and Susie talk as they swim, and there's this beautiful shot of them swimming. And I know... This pool, really, it's just fantastic, yeah. I know from reading some of the trivia on this movie, Dario Argento wanted them to swim very... Slowly,
0: they do they swim very, very slowly so
1: that they didn't put any ripples in the water.
0: Yeah, that was the direction I saw. This I saw uh, Jessica Harper get to talk about this actually. Yeah, and they they would do a take no slower, (laughs) (laughs) that'd be like the only direction. So, if you watch it, they are barely moving Mm -hmm. in this water and it looks a little strange but it does
1: but it's a beautiful shot yeah
0: it it really is like the the water doesn't move it feels like a painting
1: yeah that they're trapped on
0: to some extent it does provide an incredibly intriguing look so it worked and the strangest of how they move is sort of dreamlike in another Mm -hmm. way maybe not intentional maybe it was intentional I don't know but it it really does work
1: they talk as they swim
0: they discuss more of the details of what's going on with with the staff I
1: just wrote that's just brilliant blue popping off the screen.
0: Yeah, 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 it really is.
1: Shows you the real true beauty of film.
0: This is the, one of the things that that is nice. You know, we, we watch a lot of movies on our projector and we have 4K and you really can tell a lot of these 35 millimeter movies look excellent transfer. Mm-hmm. And I think they look a uh, almost better than the newer movies to some extent. Yeah. They, they really have a great look. Cause that 35 millimeter, you, you really can, you know, scan that as much as you want. I'm sure once we get to 16 or 32 K or whatever, whatever, then maybe it, it might not hold up as well, but it does look fantastic today.
1: Mm-hmm. Sarah is going, this is where Sarah tells, Susie, that she's going to give her some notes, but they have they they have. I combined stolen. the two scenes. Like, I yeah. apologize.
0: Yeah, it happens sometimes. There's not a lot of plot in the movie, so sometimes you just characters kind of talk about inane things.
1: Susie's out of it again, and because they're very
0: similar, they're, you know, Susie's you know uh, a white girl drunk again.
1: Yeah, Sarah asks if she knows anything about witches. Witches. There's a green hue surrounding her.
0: Yeah, yeah, the, the color's changing immediately. Like before, there was. Just a, a conversation about it. Now there's some danger. Yeah, you can tell the witches are aware of what she's trying to do, and she's in real trouble.
1: Mm-hmm. So Sarah starts freaking out. She leaves, but somebody comes into Susie's room. You see a shot of the door opening. Sarah runs around the halls. She's in a very blue attic. Yeah,
0: it's, you know, she went from the into the the green room,
1: mm-hmm. and then
0: you had the red hallway, correct? Mm-hmm. And then she goes into the blue attic.
1: Mm-hmm. She hears some weird breathing, which you know I. I think is a great geographical way to describe something in different colors,
0: yeah I, I think so too. We talked about a little bit about this in the hunt for Red October, yeah, it's how it was very easy to tell where you were
1: because each submarine had Bont was colors. the d
0: p he set up each one to have a different color, so when you cut there and you see red, you know you're in the Russian sub, you know mm-hmm. when you see blue, you know you're in the American sub. From one shot, that's what you need to get across. We talk about this a lot with the Transformers movies when they're just CG metal clanging against each other. I don't know who the fuck they are. they're all gray and, and, and gunmetal gray, you know who cares, right? Mm-hmm. So if you throw some splashes of color, it makes things a lot easier for us to recognize visually in one second. Mm-hmm. In one frame, we can tell.
1: Sarah hears some weird breathing and she's attacked and breaks a bunch of glass and gets all cut up. She locks yeah. herself into her room, but somebody is still trying to get in. She stacks some boxes so to reach a little window.
0: So, by trying to get in, she locks the door. And so, he's trying to stick his knife through here and pick up the latch lock. Yeah. Which, in theory, should just be him sticking a knife through the slit and then lifting it, correct? Correct. So, and he, he sells this lock. Trying to open it up like Bruce Campbell selling shelves, knocking him out in Evil Dead. Yeah, like just like I can't open the door, just so she can get that set up and go uh, through her little through the little tiny window near the ceiling and get to the next room.
1: But she sees a door in the next room. Yeah, but she doesn't look down. It's
0: pure nightmare fuel. How this works? Pure dream is what it is. she
1: leaps right into razor wire.
0: Yeah, then that's it, and she
1: she struggles a lot. Very
0: saw esque type kill. She she goes down there and she she just flails against the razor wire and yeah yes when we get close up we can't see it's it's phony
1: and you well, you can see it's you phony you can't put an actress in razor wire yeah that, that wasn't
0: something that was possible yeah. now you could put the that digitally and no one would really notice it's fine but that wasn't something that could be done safely especially how they were doing it yeah. and they moved very quickly on a giallo production but it, it's it's very it's very much like a nightmare like you just take the step into the logic and fall into the bottomless pit or she fall get, into the pit of snakes or
1: she gets in she ends up getting her throat slit.
0: Yeah, yeah. She sells the razor wire. She's trying to get to the door, and eventually the killer comes around, just slits her throat. Mr. Argento again.
1: Susie wakes up and wonders where Sarah is. And the headmistress mistress, mistress the next morning tells her that Sarah left in the morning and the guy there's a guy standing behind her and the headmistress is like, Don't you agree? And the guy's like, Yeah. So she's got backup.
0: Yeah. So Susie's not buying any of that.
1: Mm-hmm. Susie goes to see a doc who is played by Udo Kier.
0: Yeah, and this is basically like the weirdest, like biggest like info dump in the movie. Mm-hmm. That's, that's all this is. We are just given all the information on the witches, Elena Marcos, and how they're coming. The history
1: of the work. dance yeah, again. Yeah, and they're
0: just sitting there, and they just talk about Founded by Witches. So they say, da-da-da, this. And Place it, of
1: a cold activity, yeah. blah, blah, blah.
0: So they're the basis for the entire remake.
1: Yeah. Susie asks some old dude if... He believes some
0: old, <laughs> some old man just wanted in the scene. Like, excuse me, sir. Have you heard of Mother Superior?
1: <laughs> he asked he asked him if he believes in witches. The music hits, and then they talk of covens and witches.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like it's not poorly done, but it it is, like I said, just a big info dump of a scene. Mm-hmm. And it, it's sort of fine because I guess the way to look at it is like, listen, this information had to get delivered some way, shape, or form. This movie's about this dream as sequence, and this is not part of that aesthetic, correct? Yeah. It's in the daytime. The colors are normal. The cinematography is a little bit more generic than what the rest of the film has. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a scene out in the middle of the day where people are talking.
1: We're back at nighttime, Mm -hmm. and Susie notices that she's been left at the school by herself because all the other girls have went off to see a play. Yeah. And she's like, why didn't y'all fucking wake me up?
0: I don't know. Right? (laughs) Is that what the answer is? I don't know.
1: Everyone went to the theater and just left.
0: Yeah, what a bunch of dickhead friends. Fuck you, Olga. She t- we never see again, by the way, right? Mm-mm. Yeah, we never see Olga again.
1: She tries to call Frank, which I don't remember who Frank was. She throws the food and the toilet and the wine down the sink.
0: Yeah, she finally wises up and realizes she shouldn't eat any of that shit. It's probably poisoned or doxed. We don't find out if it's poisoned at all. We assume it is, but we'd never know.
1: A bat comes out and attacks her.
0: That's the best indication that there was something wrong with it. Mm-hmm. So she has a little bat fight, which is a really kooky scene.
1: It's blue hue again, with red in the background, and then she kills the bat.
0: Yeah, she's able to dispose of the bat.
1: She thinks she hears something, so she starts counting footsteps, just like Sarah did.
0: Yeah, so she remembers the thing. that. So this is one of the few important elements of the plot that actually does come into play, is she does pick that up and, and does follow through with that, which I think is interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. She opens a door, and it's just vivid red. She's in the hallway, which always indicates you're in the hallway. you has got the red hue.
0: Very true. Very true.
1: The music kicks up. She counts her footsteps. She runs past the two women in the kitchen. She goes into a room. She remembers the girl from the beginning, what she said, and where to find the hidden door. And it's these three irises. And she's supposed to turn the blue iris. So she goes through the door.
0: And this is like, we have just a little bit of a flashback of her, like just hearing more of that as she investigates. She can just, she can sense it now that she, what she was trying to tell her now that she sees it. It's a little cheesy, but it is what it is for the story of the film.
1: She hears people talking and it's the headmistress and Madame Blanc. Yeah,
0: Madame Blanc. And what's her face?
1: And they're talking about killing her
0: yeah her nephew's in there too like they're they're all together, and we this is obviously who are the leader of the witches. Mm-hmm. I want to mention that here because the the fact that there is a hierarchy of witches here is going to be very important next week when we talk about the remake,
1: yeah because to an extent they think Olga's a, a one of the witches in training, yeah, right yeah, yeah, that's the rumor Madame Blanc drinks something and it hurts Susie,
0: yeah, she sort of begins like an incantation after and it, and it does begin to to affect her.
1: She finds Sarah's body, and she's got pinned through her yeah, eyes. Yeah, pins through her eyes, and
0: she's like nailed, nailed by her wrist. Yeah, right into the right into the, into the floor. Right at the table, pardon me.
1: She escapes into another room and hears snoring and wheezing.
0: The same as before, but much much louder, much more pronounced. So Susie has to be incredibly careful and stealthy. Mm-hmm. So what she does is walk clumsily into the room and knock over this beautiful peacock statue mm-hmm. and drops it and shatters it. And immediately, Elena Marco's like, What? What the fuck is that? Ah! Because Elena Marcos really does sound like that, right?
1: Yeah, she's like, what? Well, <laughs> Who's there? Who's there? And you're the American
0: girl. I need a glass of water. I don't, I don't know why she became John Rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie, I love you.
1: <laughs> you love John Rainbow. I do
0: love John Rainbow. He's the greatest character in all of fiction.
1: <laughs> so we know it's Elena Marcos. Elena Marcos. Uh, Susie picks up one of the I guess. Peacock feather, feathers. Peacock feathers uh, yeah. It's also a weapon.
0: Yeah. It's a blade basically.
1: And she goes to stab Elena Marcus.
0: Yeah. She pulls open the curtain and you see the silhouette. And the second she does, there's nothing there. Nothing there. Nothing there. And Elena Marcos mocks her. <laughs> you thought you could kill me. And Susie has a look of pure terror on her face mm-hmm. as the door slowly across the room begins to open. And I mean, this is really milked. It does take a little bit of time. For it to happen. And all of a sudden, we get a zombified version of her friend to come out without the pins in her eyes this time. Mm -hmm. But she still has the marks on her arms for where she was nailed to the table. And she is absolutely a zombie and insane and crazed.
1: Yeah, she comes towards Sarah. I mean, Susie. Susie. Sarah comes towards Susie. Sarah
0: Sarah comes towards Susie. And, like, she's just terrified. See, there's the iconic shot that's on the poster. And that's her holding the the peacock feather blade while terrified that Sarah's going to kill her.
1: She starts to see Helena Marcus's figure, yeah, the silhouette of her figure.
0: Exactly. She's terrified looking back and forth between where Helena's supposed to be at and the lightning hits, and she sees the most 70s-esque silhouette that there's ever been. Yeah. And she's just like, oh, fuck it, and stabs right into the, into the silhouette. And immediately, Helena Marcos is dispatched. She stabbed through the throat. She is seen. She can. She howls. She grimes. She's an old crone. Her skin decrepit and aged. Careful now. <laughs> <laughs> Don't hit but the mic. you know you're excited. <laughs> but and, and then she sees all this. Sarah immediately like fades away in like the cheesiest like video fade
1: ever. But yeah, like oh, <laughs> and because she killed the headmistress or the.
0: As they said earlier.
1: which of the coven.
0: That they cannot exist. It's just like a snake. You cut off the head, it's over.
1: Yeah. So yeah. all the other witches start g- crumbling. You,
0: you don't see them die, but it is led to believe that they certainly die in the fire.
1: The building starts to come apart as Susie's running for her life. She runs down the hallway and stairs and out into the rain. The building starts to catch fire and you just hear Screams. Yeah, and, and Susie so, has this, this
0: look of, of just relief on her face and almost a, a crazed smile as she walks away from all this carnage and the camera pushes in on the window where we see the flames come out and we hear the witches cry and howl in pain mm-hmm. as the Goblin soundtrack fires up. And that was Suspiria.
1: Fucking A right, doggy.
0: Yeah, there's there's nothing like it. That, that's the thing. There's, there's nothing like it. When people say, what's another movie like Suspiria? I'm like... I don't know, you
1: know. Yeah, it's it's a one of a kind.
0: Yeah, there's not just even Argento's other films in this, like I like Inferno, but even the other movies in the Three Mothers trilogy, and certainly not the last one, Mother of Tears, aren't quite the same, but. There's really only one movie like this, and it, this is really a truly unique film. It's my favorite of Argento's, and this is probably one of my top five favorite films of all time.
1: Absolutely, in mine too.
0: Yeah, I, I love almost every frame of this movie, and it's one of the movies I won't hate on you if you don't get or don't like it because yeah. I understand it's it's not for everybody. I didn't like it when I first
1: saw not it. Not for everybody. I didn't like the soundtrack. I didn't. I didn't like the dubbing. I didn't like anything about it. But I it grew on me in a tremendous way.
0: Yeah, I, I can certainly agree with that. This is a cinematic experience that needs to be watched. Yeah. You you have to, if you think you're a horror fan, you really owe it to yourself to watch Aspiria if you haven't. It's a full 10 out of 10 for me. There's no other way I can really talk about this movie other than saying, like I said, it's just one of the finely crafted horror films of all
1: time. Mm-hmm. Here's some trivia for you. Director Dario Argento composed the creepy music with Band Goblin and played it all full blast on the set to unnerve the actors and, and elicit a truly scared performance.
0: <laughs> I like that. It's weird to me to think the soundtrack was done before the movie.
1: Mm-hmm. Dario Argento and cinematographer Luciano Tavoli watched Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs in, from 1937 to have him model the color scheme of that film for this one.
0: Interesting. I like that. I didn't know that. Hmm.
1: Yeah. It's often assumed that to achieve the rich color palette, the film was shot using outdated three-strip technicolor process. This is not true. No film made after the mid-1950s was shot using this method. This film was instead shot on normal East Man color Kodak stock, then printed using the three-strip technicolor process, utilizing one of the last remaining three-strip machines.
0: Yeah, like I told you before, they literally unplugged that thing as it was right
1: there. Yeah, I just wanted to add a little detail.
0: Yeah, I know. Like I said, it's such, such an archaic way to shoot. You would never get approved for like shooting on three strips of film at any point past 1950. It's just, you're literally tripling your production. You're literally tripling your, your film yeah. budget. Yeah. So it, it does have a big, big effect on your, on your film stock budget.
1: Barbara Mangolfi magnolfi was revealed in subsequent years her belief that olga was a young witch in training hence her interest in susie had revealed a scripted but unfilmed scene where olga performed with a bullshoi the bullshoi the night the students were in town it was cut but because it interrupted the pacing of the film's climax hmm. interesting
0: there are a lot of theories about the movie and that's the one thing that's great about Suspiria because it's so open-ended you can sort of speculate anything about mm-hmm. the film I mean, really, like, I mean, the, I've seen, you know, people talk about that Susie is really Madame Susperiorium. and they carry that over in the remake. But that is a very popular fan theory. It, it was for a long time that Helena Marcos was a fraud. Yeah. That's why she was able to be killed. She's using cheap theatrical magic, and that's why she was killed by the real mother Susperiorum Susie. But, you know, like I said, it, oddly enough, the, the remake is fairly close <laughs> in that respect.
1: The Goblin score was composed before the film was shot, which mm. you mentioned earlier. Yeah. The last one, Dario Argento was so low after completing the film that he acti- actively contemplated suicide.
0: Yeah, yeah. I know this was a real dark time for him. And I, I know a lot of the people who had seen the movie during production were like, this is not going to be a hit. And they could not have been more wrong. You know, people really doubted his move away from Giallo films. But obviously, this is the one he's going to be remembered for.
1: Reviews on this movie... 4.0 out of uh, user reviews, 94% on Rotten Tomatoes, and 7.3 out of IMDb.
0: I'm curious about user reviews on this one because I think this is a movie where it's kind of like Citizen Kane where people say they like it, but if you ask them about Superior, they don't know a thing about it. Same yeah. thing with Citizen Kane.
1: I chose a one star review. As you should have. The title of this is Horrible Music, Mediocre Acting, Stale Plot. <laughs>
0: Fair enough. This is not he's not wrong in yeah. any of what he said in this part already. So let's hear what he has to say.
1: Some of the most horrible soundtrack music I've ever heard. <laughs> so poorly done that sometimes the music, cacophonous noise more like, cacophonous. was hurting your ears, and yet you could hear not hear the dialogue. Ooh. Literally, the soundtrack often sounded like distant screams mixed with clashing chimes and someone dropping a ton of sheet metal on because concrete. Because that's what it is. <laughs> Mediocre acting. So much of the dialogue sounded contrived and artificial and was often delivered in either a wooden fashion or an overly meadowed melodramatic or hyper-emotionalized manner stale plot i can't say much without giving the whole movie away since there is not much to the plot at all suffices to say that it's overused trite and unimaginative i expect the only thing that it had going for it at the time was certain shock value to that to what was then blood and gore by modern standards pretty tame the late female actress was competent, cute, and sympathetic, but that wasn't nearly enough to redeem this film. <laughs> On the whole, don't waste your time. I have no idea why some consider this movie a horror classic. <laughs> Evil Jed, just to name one, is the same decade is vastly superior.
0: Yeah, because we talked about 1977. This is the year Star Wars came out. So if you want to put it in perspective where Suspiria fits in yeah. like the pantheon of horror movies, you know, this is way before we're going to get a lot of the slasher craze and everything like that. So I think that's something interesting to note as well. You know, they once again I talked about giallo's really predating the slasher genre. You know, this movie's 77, so it, it comes before a lot of other big name horror movies that we would associate with it. Four Evil Dead. So, mm-hmm. You know, they were shooting Evil Dead this time. They shot Evil Dead for 16 years before it came out. So not not 100% true, but they shot it for a long time before Evil Dead saw the light of day. Sadly, this is one of the movies – and by the way, on, on, if you go to the Roger Ebert subreddit, this is like one of the top movies they feel bad he never talked about. Yeah. He never talked about Argentina. You think
1: he would have liked it?
0: I don't know, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. I, I, that's the one thing, you know, Suspiria is such a divisive kind of movie for, for a lot of critics like that. A lot of critics felt a lot like he did. It's mm-hmm. like, what is this? You know, some people just weren't going to see it. And remember, you know, in 1977, you're only going to see a film once in the theater, and that was it. I got to hear, I don't really care for him, but it's a it's a good story. Like Woody Allen talk about seeing 2001 and he was just like, "Well, that was shit." As he walked out of the theater, and that was the consensus at the time. And, you know, he just was like, "Well, I won't have to worry about seeing it." And then he went back to LA to, you know, I guess do some film stuff out there, talk to people, and he had a girlfriend out there who I'm pretty sure was probably underage. And he she said, "Hey, we've got to go see this new picture, 2001." He's like, Ugh, I don't want to see that. It's stupid. I saw it the one time. I don't ever need to see it again because that's how people felt at that time and era. And he went to go see it, and then like it just dawned on him. Well, yeah. Midway to the take, he's like, oh, "My God, it's
1: brilliant!" It's yeah. a different kind of film,
0: you know. And, and it's it's one of those things. I'm sure there's a lot of people who saw this movie in the '70s and just were like, "What the fuck was that?" Yeah, and dismissed it and never thought about it another I time again. It. So I, that's why, like I said, I don't have any really ill will towards anyone who doesn't like this movie. It's not like if we're talking about. Galaxy Quest, and you don't like it? I'm like, do you not have a soul? You know, yeah. <laughs> like the, certain movies like that. I'm like, what do you mean you don't like that movie? The movie's great. Like, I had one guy who hated Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm like, oh, that's a crowd pleaser. How could you not like that movie? Yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, uh, to each his own, I suppose. But this is one I can certainly understand being divisive.
1: I didn't like Endgame.
0: Yeah, that's right. You didn't. You didn't like Endgame. Yeah, yeah you hated Endgame.
1: And I didn't like uh, one of the Star Wars movies that everybody liked, uh, Or um,
0: nobody Luke, liked that one. Luke Jedi. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody liked that one. I mean, I like it, but nobody else did. Okay. I mean, I don't love it, but I, I do like it. I thought it was bold filmmaking. Yeah, come at me, bitch. I think, you know what? I think The Last Jedi is the third best Star Wars movie. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. Empire, the original, and then that one. Because it's better than Jedi. It's better than all the prequels. <laughs> and it's the best of the sequels. What's a better movie than that one? You could maybe make the case for Return of the Jedi, but I think it's a stronger film than Return. I do. That's my hot take.
1: Wow. Shots hot takes fired. takes all over. Shots fired. Yeah, you're going to get us canceled. <laughs> no,
0: I just, I, I, I mean, I don't think it's an amazing movie, but good Lord, people hate on that film like, no, tomorrow. At least Rise of Skywalker came out to be the most hated movie in the franchise after that. Yeah. But uh, with that being said, we're, as we're going to talk about movies that are divisive, next week we're going to cover this remake.
1: Yeah. And I can
0: tell you right now, it's already divisive in this room. Because mm-hmm. uh, Meredith did not care for it, and I thought it was quite brilliant and none of us are wrong. I want to say that right now, because I can certainly understand her perspective, and I think you can understand the way I look at it and how I appreciate it. So next week will be a wet, loving kiss to Suspiria like this week was. Next week, we'll have a lot to talk about, and, and we've got about an hour here about Suspiria. We may go longer next week about this remake, because it is a remake that is close in, in tone. I mean, it's close in spirit to the original story, but it is not close to it in the way it is It
1: more done. walks beside
0: it. Yeah, like, the story elements are oddly very similar. Very, very similar. And the character names are almost the same. But it is a different movie. And that's the reason why I like it, and it's probably the reason why you hate it. But uh, we'll get into that next week, and sadly, we also will not have Ebert again with us again. No. In 2018, Ebert was very much dead, and <laughs> not able to review the movie.
1: All right, well.
0: With that being said, we don't need to do social media. We already did that. Yeah. If you don't have one fuck social media. So uh, with that, we're out, guys. That's it.
1: Yeah. Have a good one. Yeah.
0: Enjoy Suspiria